Hello world, welcome to another episode of the Deep Dive with Eyal Shai. My guest today is Kelly Wild-Miller. Hi Kelly. Hello Eyal, good morning from America. <laughs> nice to be here with you. Yeah, yes, I'm here. I'm really excited to have you on and uh, I'm also very interested in hearing what's an idea that's been helping you live well. Yes, my current living well obsession is cyclical living and cyclical creation. We can dive into what that actually means. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm a fan of seasons. I have to be because Israel is a very different between the seasons. And I always look forward to the next migratory bird that comes in, the next flower that starts to bloom. And um, so intuitively, I feel like I would be connected to that. But I'll, I definitely want to hear from you Uh, what's the origin of that? Like, how did you come across this kind of idea in the first place uh, mm-hmm. to begin things with? Yeah, my portal into cycles was really looking at my desire to create projects out in the world and be more in touch with my creativity. And year after year, coming up against this block of not being able to actually get things off the ground and out into the world and then sustain them. And then I would, so I would go into this pattern of having all these big ideas. I would start working on them a little bit. I might take a couple steps forward. I might tell the world a little bit about it. And then something would happen internally where I was no longer resonant with the idea or I just couldn't relate to it anymore or inter- all these inner blocks would come up and then I would put the idea away. So I. I ended up developing a very large archive folder in my computer of all these projects or like my project graveyard. <laughs> and after enough years, that became really sad for me and really overwhelming of why, why do I have so many ideas, but very little that I can actually execute on. And I started just tracking myself more deeply and realized that there was a cycle and a pattern playing out with the, big excitement and energy, a little bit of like outward momentum, and then sort of crashing and crumbling it down. And as I realized that it was operating on a cycle, I just started realizing how many other things operated on a cycle, including myself. And I was going through a big gut healing phase. I was healing my, my gut lining and looking at my very undulating moods and energy levels and almost on a daily basis, just kept thinking like, I, I feel different almost every single day. And it's really hard to relate to my projects the same way. Mm. And it was just like peeling back these layers. And then I noticed that my moods, my energy, and my alignment with my creative projects were tracking the same as my menstrual cycle. And that was okay. a revelatory insight for me. And then I began working with a cyclical embodiment coach who helped me understand the four seasons of a women's menstrual, menstrual cycle and how they align with the four seasons of life of winter, spring, summer, autumn, and how creative cycles also track onto it. And everybody's relationship with it is a little different. It's going to appear differently for everybody. So I went from this idea of this belief that I'm broken and I can't create things in the world. Clearly something is wrong with me. I must not be dedicated enough or I don't have the right productivity systems in place or my willpower is not strong enough. Whatever the 
the narrative was. I just felt like I was sort of broken as a creator. And then when I came into cyclical awareness, I realized I was actually following cycles very, very well. Um, but trying to do certain activities out of their respective season. So I'll give a, a quick example, then I'll pause. One example is spring as a season of a woman's menstrual cycle is the follicular. It's what happens after a woman is done bleeding and it tracks onto the spring of nature. So it's new beginnings, it's fresh energy, it's buds of flowers starting to poke up, it's the new emergence of color after the, the darkness of winter. And it's just all this fresh energy. And since I was, I was in alignment with my cycles intuitively, but my mind was acting from a different phase of the cycle. And so autumn is the time right before a woman bleeds. And that's the time where we go into mm. reflection, a bit of healthy critique. We start to let things go. We start to shed. Um, it's also the season where our inner critic is the most loud. And it's the time when the inner critic deserves its time and space for us to communicate with it and see what it wants to tell us. But I would allow the autumn season of inner critic, the activities of that, the critiquing, the the cutting away, I would let that come in during springtime. So when it's meant to just be new and experimentation and trying lots of things without much mm. grasping onto how well it goes, I would come in with its polar opposite season and attack it. And mm. that was, I think, one of the dynamics that kept me stuck for the longest period of time. And then when I learned that spring has its space and that eventually we will get to autumn. And so I've learned how to keep my inner critic in its time and place and not let it run rampant throughout all of my creative project timelines. And this has yeah. widespread applications in relationships, health, fitness, food. Um, but I think creativity and projects and entrepreneurship is a really fascinating uh, outlet for it. Yeah. It, it sounds like a framing that would be applicable in basically all of life's domains. And, um, yeah, I just, I just like the idea because, you know, usually in our society, I think the default view is that menstrual cycles are just inconvenient to say the least, you know, and it's like, yeah, we understand like the reproduction aspect of it and stuff, but I, I barely, I, at least me, and that doesn't say much. I'm a, I'm a man maybe, and I haven't listened to the right podcast, but, um, you know, I haven't come across such a, a positive kind of framing of, of this beautiful natural process. So I'm, I'm very happy to be, to be exposed to, to such one framing. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, I just made me think about, um, how things in season are, there is a lot of fittingness there, right? It's it, it's something that rings true immediately. If like trying to think of a flower that blooms in late autumn and it's doomed, right? It's not the right time and how things happen through time. And actually the word for beautiful in modern Greek is literally comes from something that is in season. So I like to see how it goes into just how people speak as well. Um, yeah, in terms of a of a pattern of 
creative projects starting and then crashing or halting, would it start um, with a, a lot of a lot of effort and excitement into it, and then would it be at the phase when there is a kind of plateau that you reach that very quickly either lacks the excitement or is it uh, some sort of immediate grat gratification or a wish for that that kind of comes in and brings the, the critic in it? Like, what would it look like for you usually? Yeah, the, the phase of the cycle where... I think I'm personally the most vulnerable to my inner critic or to potentially demolishing the project altogether is after the initial wave of enthusiasm has started to calm down. And now I'm just in the day-to-day -day kind of chop wood, carry water phase of the project. Mm. So I think, you know, there's a honeymoon phase for all creative projects as well, just like relationships and most of us know what that feels like in a, in a romantic relationship when the honeymoon phase is very clearly done. And now you're in the day-to-day -day reality of maintaining, nurturing, growing connection with this other person without all the flashy um, early stage hormones and perspectives that we might take. And so my creative projects, I would also kind of come in with this probably overly optimistic, slightly naive, um, excited, like I'm courting this idea and I'm going to bring it to life. And then the moment it gets hard, it's like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. Now it's hard. Now I'm mm. being confronted by the act of needing to continue tending to this thing. And I think flowers are probably a really good metaphor to, to work with. I, I just became a houseplant mom to about 12 different species of houseplants. And some of them are Congrats. flowering plants. Thank you. Some of them are flowering plants. <laughs> and some of them, you know, I brought them home and they were beautiful right out right away. And then and then I couldn't figure out what to the right ratio of shade, light, water. And so some of them started dying pretty quickly. And realizing like, oh, here's the work. Here's the work of being a houseplant mom. Like I don't just get treated to beautiful mm. flowers year around. I have to learn how to be in relationship with the natural needs of this being. And I have to learn its language and I have to learn its cycles and patterns. And so I've been apprenticing, I call it to my houseplants to learn like, what is it that you need? Because it, it obviously won't go well if I project my needs onto the houseplants. Like I, I have to learn what they need. And I think my creative projects very quickly have, they're not necessarily about me as much anymore. It's this thing that has its own life that I'm listening to and learning how to steward into the world, much like I imagine parents feel when their children come into the world as well. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. You know, I, for me, myself, like just last night, I woke up in the middle of the night and had this fantastic idea for a creative project. I couldn't sleep for like an hour was very excited, got up this morning. I'm like, oh, now I have to make phone calls about this. You know, I did have a plan last night and like, okay, well, what's the big deal? If this doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. You know, it's not like the world is ruined if my creative project isn't in it. And it was, it, it is really cool. Um, but so it's, it's very interesting with us. It's like, 
you come up with an idea and you really want to see it and you appreciate even the the importance of it being out in the world um and it's really quite striking how how quickly that can change into it's like oh i have to um yeah have some input into this and then you know suddenly things can become overwhelming too if you if you instead of starting you just add on kind of a, a long to-do list of things or think about now this one project is just one in a subset of projects that all go into this meta project that is your life's work or something it all can become really overwhelming so yeah i'm really interested in hearing about what conceptually is is different for you now is it that you try to begin more gently so that mm-hmm. this um you know there's not the kind of brush fire that heats up very quickly but then is put out very quickly mm-hmm. yes um, that's exactly what i'm doing so let's keep using the seasons of nature as the metaphor and mm. this is for all beings this isn't just for humans who bleed every month this is this is for men as well we are all cyclical beings and so one of the arguments that i'm starting to learn or lean into is that although we've been programmed to operate on a 24-hour calendar or daily calendar and schedule and a seven-week schedule and a 30-day month schedule more or less we really are in alignment with the the lunar cycles we're all affected by the the um, the phase of the moon and the moon more or less operates on a 28-day cycle and most women's menstrual cycles if they're more or less healthy if they're off of birth control pills and they've gotten back to a place of normality and homeostasis they usually will track with the 28-day lunar cycle give or take a couple days on either side and so Um, one of the ways that I'm recalibrating is by living through the lunar cycles and the four phases of the moon track to the four phases of our menstrual cycle, which also track to the four major seasons of overall nature. So, um, our menstrual, when we're actually bleeding is winter and that is the new moon. It's this place that is void, um, It's more inward, it's more reflective, and there's not a lot of energy available. Then we come out into spring, which is a woman's follicular phase, and that tracks to the waxing moon. We're starting to see you know more of the moon illuminated again. And that's a time to begin, but to begin with the pace of grace, I like to say. So instead of going from, You know, shooting out the gate and trying to rush towards summer um, or trying to rush to having it be done and perfect right away, we pace ourselves. So it's just like a spring flower is pacing itself to start blooming again. And then we head into the full moon, which is summer, which is ovulation. And that's like peak, it's peak visibility, brightness, communication, socialization. It's when we want to share ourselves with the world. It's like the summit of this one cycle. And then we head into autumn, which is a waning moon, and it's a woman's luteal cycle. And that's the time for completion, for gentle endings, 
for looking at what needs to go. It's the leaves dropping of our projects and of actual nature. And then we head back into winter and we just keep doing this. Like this is what we've done since the dawn of time is lived in alignment with these four primary cycles. And it gets a little bit more nuanced in the transition points between the cycles. I'm not totally steeped in that yet. Um, but what this has helped me do is recognize what phase my projects are in. And I'll use my podcast as an example, since I interviewed you there last week. It's the Wild mm -hmm. on Purpose podcast. And it's, it's out in the world. I'm communicating about it regularly. And to me, it means it's in its summer phase. So it's big, it's bright. However, me personally, as Kelly, as a human, I'm living in Colorado. It's December. I'm living in winter right now. There is snow outside my door. Mm. And personally, I can tell that I'm ready to start um, going more inward with that season. So we can be operating in different seasons at one time, depending on what we're talking about. You know, if, mm -hmm. if I started a new relationship or a new friendship right now, I might be entering into a spring of that friendship while living in winter, while operating the summer of a creative project. And so knowing this has given me more agency over how I spend my energy and time. But I think the biggest part is actually greater self-compassion for when I don't feel you know, the same energetics as other areas of my life, or I, I want to rest when the project wants to bloom or something like that. And just the recognition of like, cool, we're operating in different seasons right now. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I imagine, you know, that's, that these should all be taken into account and that the, there is the, the fitting behavior that takes into account the fact that it really is winter outside. So the, there's going to be a behavior that is fitting with being in the spring phase, but really in physical winter um, outside or natural winter. So I, I think that is, it, it's a great framing because even intuitively, I can understand what that would mean, kind of what, you know, acting, uh, being in the spring phase of some creative project or the summer phase, and it's winter outside. Very intuitively, I can already get an idea of what that would be like, and I think that's a, that's kind of a mark of, of truth for any kind of framing, is that it comes easy, easily to you, the understanding. It's like a metaphor, right? Metaphors are talking about different things, but the understanding is immediately there. It's like, if I told you I'm uprooted, you wouldn't be asking, it's like, if I'm a plant, you know, you would just immediately get my meaning. And mm -hmm. so that's something I, I really like about this. And yeah, you know, let's talk podcasting. We both have podcasts and I think mm -hmm. that is really interesting. It's a really good example. It, it can be a really long lived project. Uh, but in order for it to be so, right, you have to have the kind of patience to do it. And I myself was surprised when I started my podcast. So in, if you asked me before my podcast is what, who am I as a creator? I would say the same thing as you. It's like tons of folders, starting things, really having this like 
very strong honeymoon phase, right? With the thing where it keeps me awake at night. I become, become almost like hypomanic or whatever, you know, trying to push it very quickly and everything happens like too soon with too great of an intensity and soon it's overwhelming and what follows is exhaustion, but even worse, uh, hatred, almost hatred to that is like, because you've just broken up with this thing and it didn't end well. And because of this salient negative emotion, you're also probably not going to touch this thing again. And this happens again and again, like, Oh yeah. And with the podcast, it's really interesting because I think it, uh, it's something that, um, I don't know for, for what reason, but you know, maybe it's just maturity and for each its own, but I guess the kind of medium does matter to an extent, but it is something that you can start and just know that you're in it. And it's also on the whole, a low intensity thing, mm -hmm. which I think is, is very important for creators to start with the low intensity things that kind of has the right balance between commitment and, and freedom. Mm. Cause you don't want to be enslaved to your project, but you also want to put out something that's noticeable, that's there, that's consistent. And, um, I know for me, that was, I think the biggest feature of it that kind of made it feasible for me to just very easily go on for weeks, you know, it's almost two years now. So I don't know if you felt this, that like it has to do with the medium or do you think it's just some other sort of maturation in you? Yes. Okay. There's like 10 things I want to say. I'm just going to number a few of them. Um, I, I want to touch on the heartbreak that you mentioned and that exhaustion, kind of that burnout feeling of creative cycles mm. and projects. Also this idea of consistency and another way of looking at that, that was really helpful for me. And then, yeah, I'll speak to the, to the framework or the, the, the medium itself. So I definitely understand that feeling of heartbreak. And also that's, I think you said self-hatred or just that hatred of, like, oh, here's another well, beautiful project. That's yes, self-hatred, hatred of the project. Yeah, mm -hmm. both. <laughs> yeah, I used to, you know, get so into it and be like, this is the project. This is the project that's going to put me on the map and it's going to create all the fulfillment of my life and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, I would go through the cycle that I already talked about. I would end up archiving the project and putting it away my tail between my legs, you know, it almost out of sight, out of mind. Like I had to put it in a different folder in my computer so that I was no longer reminded of this thing. And I would compartmentalize mm. it and just be like, okay, that never happened. And I would move on. You did that enough times that I, I really did. I, I wouldn't use the word hate, but I really did. Um, just, I had no more belief in myself anymore as a creative because mm -hmm. I had this trail of failures behind me. At least that's how I was perceiving them. And what I've, I mean, through this process of cyclical alignment, I've also come to touch another concept that I think I've coined this. I don't know if anyone else has coined this out in the world, but I think a lot of us have experienced it and it's creative dysregulation. So my husband, Johnny is a nervous mm. system researcher and he talks about regulation, nervous system regulation is when we are 
responding appropriately to the stimulus in our life. So, and that we are able to, you know, kind of move through the various nervous system states with some fluidity. And I believe that when I was in nervous nervous system dysregulation, it turns into creative dysregulation. So I'd go into those big manic, mm. manic creation phases, which tracks onto the nervous system state of sympathetic hyper arousal. It's a stress response. And then oscillate mm -hmm. to the other side, which is, was shut down. It was creative shutdown, which also tracks to the nervous system of our dorsal reflex. And instead of learning how to stay more in the middle and just titrate up a little bit, you know, I was busting through the walls on either side and just going from like hyper big to hyper small, which you could also look at as peak summer and peak winter. Like the, mm. the, the peak of our bigness and outwardness and then the peak of our inwardness. And if you take out the other seasons, you, you imagine how volatile that would be if we just went from the hottest day of the year to the coldest day of the year, like everything would just be chaos. And so that's why the transitionary phases of whether it's the transitions of our day, the transitions of our projects, I think those are where the art really is, where we really um, meet ourselves because I think it's easy to be all out, all, all big or all in inward. Um, and my coach does say that autumn and spring are the ones that, that test us the most because they ask for us a different pacing. And right now as modern humans, mm -hmm. we're not so good at pacing and uh, consistent pacing mm. or learning how to slow down or learning how to gradually speed up. So I think if you were to right. apprentice to any of the two seasons, it would be looking at your relationship to the energetics of spring and uh, autumn first. I'll pause mm. there, <laughs> but you asked another question. So I'll follow up with that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know this was just the one or two of the three you mentioned. So you're welcome to, to go ahead with the other ones too. Um, yeah. So uh, on consistency with having a podcast, mm -hmm. it's a really interesting modality where, consistency matters. You definitely don't want to post a podcast every four months and you don't really have a podcast if that's what you're doing. We are accustomed to having weekly or every other week cadence and whatever you pick, you feel like you dig the groove and you keep with that. And I'm definitely stepping more into consistency of timing, but I used to only hold myself accountable to consistency of timing. And then because I'm a cyclical being, there was inevitably a week or two or a month where I just didn't want to do the, the project. You know, I, I kind of experienced that last week. I just didn't want to put a podcast episode out there. All the back end work just didn't interest me last week. I didn't have the energy for it. And my coach asked me, what are the other ways that you're consistent with your creations? And I noticed that I'm, I'm, I believe I'm consistent with quality, with depth, uh, with, the overall topic and realizing there's other metrics to view consistency by, which gave me a little bit more spaciousness to be semi inconsistent with timing based on our modern calendar approach. And that if I'm actually consistent mm -hmm. with cyclical timing, then I'm always in mm -hmm. uh, integrity with my cyclical body and my, my undulating feelings and emotions and energy levels while also staying true to the project. 
And I feel like at some point I need to explicitly tell my listeners and my audience that of like, hey, I'm creating this podcast cyclically and it's going to feel maybe a little different than some of the other content you consistently consume because I'm operating on a different consistent calendar uh, just so that everyone's on the same page and to start bringing more awareness to this way of creating because I do think it's more kind to ourselves and potentially to content consumers as well where they are given a chance to breathe and go inward and have their own inner winter and they don't have to consume uh, content every single week or every single day. We're all here to inhale and exhale together. Yeah. Yeah. So true. I mean, I think it's, um, I remember just starting out the podcast and obviously you want to have some episodes ready for future releases, like from the beginning so that you don't actually have to deliver like every week, do that. And then on the same week, release that. And I I remember that a, a big breakthrough for me creatively was to take pressure off myself and remember you know, while you should probably be consistent as a podcaster, whatever, that's a game that everybody plays is like, you should release it on Thursdays or Wednesdays or whatever day you chose. It's also okay. If you don't do it, (laughs) it's okay (laughs) to take a week off. It's absolutely fine. You know? And, um, and there's something interesting now that comes to mind because I realized that I've been also wanting once I got very consistent about the timing of the podcast, I wanted to always have the kind of research and development department going on and searching out for other things that are going to come on my main feed and break the pattern a little bit. So interestingly, you know, any kind of cyclicality, I think there is, um, I don't know how to describe the ratio, but <laughs> the the amount of non-variance shouldn't be zero, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you do want to spice things up with things that are coming out on different days or anything like that. And I wonder, and now we can leave podcasting as the only example, but do you, how, how would that kind of map onto the whole idea of cycles? It's, because none, no season is exactly the same, like the, mm-hmm. the season before. So, um, yeah, how does that show up? Yeah. So I'm curious, do you want me to go back in time a little bit and just give my answer to why podcasting and how that's relating to my phase as a creator? And uh, then sure. I'll weave into that answer. Of course. Okay, cool. Yep. Yeah. So you talked about maybe like, podcasting now as a, either it's a maturity or specifically because of the modality and maybe it's alignment. I chose podcasting for a few reasons. Um, I wanted to choose some type of consistent content creation. And I know that the most easeful path forward for me is speaking. Anytime I've tried to start a blog or anything that requires a lot of writing, although I do consider myself a good writer it doesn't flow effortlessly. Um, But having conversations more or less, maybe with the exception of like the days right before my menstrual cycle begins, um, I love talking to people and I love engaging in conversations and it's a natural art for me. So I did a lot of self-inquiry over the last couple of years whilst looking at all of my project graveyard 
babies that I had to let go and recognize like, well, maybe there was some aspects of those projects that actually weren't in alignment with my true genius. So I've done a lot of inquiry around what are my natural skill sets and strengths? Where does my genius lie? Where am I getting positive reinforcement and feedback from other people? And I just kept hearing through lots of different ways, like, oh, I love listening to your voice. You're a great conversationalist. Uh, I did a podcast episode with my husband on his, on the Curious Humans podcast maybe a year and a half ago. And that got a lot of it. I listened to it and loved every minute. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So we kept getting (laughs) feedback like that. And over time, I just had to look at myself clearly and say, all right, Kelly, you need to own up to the fact that you have a talent when it comes to voice. So instead of trying to bushwhack down another path, that's like full of prickles and it's hard and it's steep and it's uncertain. Why don't you just follow the path that seems pretty easeful right now? So that's why I knew podcasting was going to be my modality. And, and then I do think I was able to meet it with greater maturity, creative regulation, new perspectives. I also initiated this project in a different way where I was in a podcast accelerator. So I was surrounded by community of other new podcasters and I had a mentor And this time around, I started asking for help. I also did a lot of work around perfectionism and not needing it to be the absolute highest standard that I could ever hold myself to. I went with good enough, which is edgy for me to go with good enough. And I think because (laughs) of this, this concoction of different ways of operating creatively, it actually is working. And I still love it. And I'm still happy to be doing it. And I hope to be doing it for a long time. Another thing that I recognize with podcasting, and this is probably true for other types of content creation too, is each episode goes through its own full cycle. So there's a spring of like, oh, I want to interview Aol. Okay, great. I'll do some research. I'll start a, a note file. I'll think about it. And then I go into summer, the actual conversation, the interview itself. Now I'm in the autumn phase of our conversation, which is editing and writing the show notes and just kind of getting the stuff complete. And then it'll be published and then it'll be in its winter where it's done. And Mm -hmm. although I don't want to go into a full autumn style critique of my podcast until the first season is done, which I'm intending to be somewhere around March or April. I'm allowing myself to do it in micro ways each episode. So I'm learning with each single episode. And they're also, it's like a fresh, it's like a fresh new flower each time. So there's enough diversity in the act of podcasting to keep me engaged and interested. Um, While on a macro level, I can definitely follow these very smooth cyclical patterns. And then, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, no, no, stage is yours. (laughs) Thanks. Um, to answer your, your last question around like spicing it up. I think that's super cool. And what came to me is, so we're operating on lots of different cycle seasons at one time. So although your podcast might be just cruising along and you're, you're posting every Thursday and it's all good. I do think once that groove is built and we're comfortable with it, it's a natural human inclination to want to bring in some, some new creative energy a new micro honeymoon phase potentially, or that spice. And so you as a creator then are kind of in a different 
cycle season where you're like, Ooh, I'm just going to pop in with a little bit of like summer heat right here, which is not normal, but it's you honoring a different stage of your inner creative cycles that might feel a little different than the podcast itself. That might be one way of relating to it. Um, and uh, either way, I think like for me with one of the strategies of my podcast is I created something called wild card episodes. My podcast is called wild on purpose. So I have wild card episodes, which are intentionally deviations from the standard so that when I get oh, a wild hair and I want to do something different while not breaking the trust of my listeners who've come to know a certain style or way of being that they know that this is mm -hmm. like the random side thing that still fits in because I've branded it to do so, but it may be different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a lot like what I'm doing. So I'm happy. I'm happy to know that. Yeah. And you know, I initially thought it was like, okay, I would have a season too. That's, that's, that's a, a good thing to remember. I think as a creator, you know, again, taking the pressure off, I feel is, is so important. It's like, take the pressure off yourself, start doing something. And if it ends up small, it ends up small because it's so important to retain that positive relationships with your creation so that you don't end up with all this spent energy, you, you end up exhausted and really kind of unmotivated to do it again, which you will, because if you're an artistic person, you're just going to feel it all your life. And there's not much you can do about it, I think. Um, and yeah, for me as well, I felt like once I started the, the podcast, suddenly writing wasn't that hard. So I migrated my podcast to Substack. Now I see myself, oh, it's actually, it's already, it already has the templates for like posts and stuff. So now I'm like, oh, I'm enjoying writing things too, right? And in a small way, and it's not yet consistent. But right now I find myself miraculously in a position where it's like, oh, I can't send out this um, writing, piece of writing, because the other one was just released four days ago. And suddenly there's an abundance after I was used to, um, yeah, to, to be in a scarcity mindset where it's, where I have to come up with something because it's already time. I think as long as you maintain that good relationship with creation and it flows naturally in small bits, um, that is actually going after a long time to really reach a critical mass where you might even take on some bigger projects, but there's a reason why, you know, people don't start with, um, the hugest things that they can start with. And I think mm -hmm. that is, uh, also relates nicely to the cyclical idea because you do want to know what it feels like to complete and go through the seasons, right. Uh, instead of being like completely in the dark about what it might be like, but it's also scary not to not to know where things are going i think what you just said is so important is that we need to come into relationship with the completion of a cycle and i'll speak for myself but it sounds like you fit this mold a little bit too and i know a lot of other people do it's just people who are perpetually living in the spring and the summer of just like the the, the getting mm -hmm. things off the ground or started but 
I'm starting mm. to notice a very sweet satisfaction that comes with the full closure of a loop and something very easy that anybody can do today to experience themselves in a cycle is the next time they sit down to eat a meal, recognize how you are in a full seasonal cycle through the course of your meal. So mm. that I'll just say from the eating of the meal. So you sit down, the, there's the food on the plate. Are you actually gradually beginning that experience of starting to eat food? Are you noticing the colors and what is there, this fresh experience that you're in? Or are you instantly just like shoveling it all in your face and then getting up to leave? Do you get, this is something I've noticed in myself. Do you stop and actually finish the last bite while you're still sitting? Or are you chewing that last bite while you've already got the plate and you're walking to the sink to mm. go and wash it and you're ready for the whole thing to be done? And or take, go grab another plate full of food. Or grab another plate. Case. Yeah. And so just this is like a mindful eating exercise, but I also think it's a, a very simple, very normal human experience of us in cycles is perceive your next meal time as a cycle and notice how you feel at the different phases of it. Which do you prefer? Which are you trying to get through and get done quickly? Um, which ones are uncomfortable for you? You can also do it with a conversation. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of ways that our cycles show up throughout the day. And I believe that um, life is pretty much a big hologram. So the way that you're showing up in one cycle, you can extrapolate that larger and notice that it's probably how you relate to the larger macros cycles of your life too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even before when you mentioned something, already the idea popped in my head that, you know, actually seeing how well it goes for you in terms of creating something artistically is a, it can be a good indication for lots of other things, right? Just as you say, it can be extrapolated. Um, yeah, I love the idea of a meal because it is such a, such a, a quick, a quick cycle, um, or it can be. And yeah, it's, it, it's making me reflect on it and be ashamed of myself. No. <laughs> <laughs> is it the spring people who gorge themselves? And then, yeah. Um, again, it's yeah, a compassion these, these days I'm, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, one thing I have become, um, more aware of is to let, let saliva kind of get to everything you're eating, you know, don't, Ooh. don't just take it. And I think it's interesting because you can see it with different people. I think a lot of people really appreciate, um, the fullness, other people really appreciate the flavor and they want the strong flavors. Like I find myself to always want the, not just the novel, but also the more extreme. So it's like hot food. Um, and then other people are very concerned about health to the point where they almost just like, you know, in the extreme, it's almost like, I wish I didn't have to eat. Whereas for other people, mm -hmm. it's like, I wish I could eat more than I can actually do it. So it is interesting mm -hmm. to also, um, maybe, maybe it's a way to even find something, um, fundamental about your personality in some sense through these mm. things. And yeah, I, I guess that's true for creation too. I think that for a lot of the people who are, um, amazing artists who can put these big novels together, 
you know, you have to understand that they, that comes natural to them. And, uh, you might not be of that type and it's okay to be of a different type and mm-hmm. really play to your strengths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much, so much there. You know, I, I want to write a book as well. And my mind thinks I need to start the book next year because I have the framework. I have the idea and I know that it's perfect for a book. And yet my hands and my body do not have the lived experience that I can write a book. I've never been able to even get a blog off the ground. And so there's this disconnect between the ambition of what I think I want to do out in the world. And then what I've actually proven to myself, uh, through smaller micro repetitions and cycles and little projects. And so I'm kind of sitting with this tension, this inner tension of, well, maybe I'll be that one special person who just never successfully writes a blog post, but is able to write a New York times bestselling book. But when I, the more I understand the, the, the nervous system calibration to creative projects, the more I know that that is most definitely going to thrust me into some type of dysregulated experience because it's so much new, Mm. it's so much pressure, it's so much of something I've never experienced before. And there is a part of me that I think is in the old paradigm that wants to wear that as a badge of honor. Like, look how great I am for doing something and being awesome at it right away versus the slightly more boring, less sexy approach of just consistently sitting down and writing most days of the week and that eventually turning into a book. Yeah. And, and that's hard, you know, actually my first, uh, creative project when, uh, COVID hit and I didn't have a job as a tour guide was to write a book. And just as, just like you, I didn't have any kind of experience of being able to do it, which is funny. So the first point I want to bring up is something which we talked about in our last conversation in your podcast, uh, which is already out by now, I think. And, um, it's the fact that I've gone through this cycle in my life of being reduced to ashes because of things that happened to me and have risen mm-hmm. up again. And I went through this crazy cycle of being reduced to ashes and then soaring again, right? And then thinking that I did that, but I couldn't write a book or anything like that if that kind of thought comes. Well, of course, it's it's something different, but, you know, surely I, I can do that. And it's more the unknown quality of the process that is um, threatening me than actually thinking whether I can do it or not. I can do it. I just don't have a roadmap for it. Right. So that's Mm -hmm. one thing that comes to mind. So I think all of us should really evaluate ourselves approaching things, not just on this specific things. Oh, I haven't done it. Therefore I'm not able to do it. But also remember that for most of us, we have gone through some difficult things, which we were able to eventually, um, uh, yeah, just have a breakthrough and, and go through. And, uh, so, you know, fi- finding the, the respect for yourself that you can in other things helps. And yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, scary. 
like jumping out of my seat to respond. Um, I think you touched on two things. I almost feel like the path of a creative might have a couple distinct stages, depending on how empowered they were to create as a child or earlier on in their life. Some people, I think, always have the belief of like, yeah, I can do anything. I can write a book. I've never written a book before, but I could totally write one. And then there are certain people, and this was me for a long time, who genuinely did not have the self-belief that they were worthy of writing a book or that they had the capacity to write a book. And so it was just easier to fantasize about the idea of writing the book. Mm. And I believe that the people who have some negative belief systems and limiting belief systems, they need to totally uh, repattern their belief system blueprint to trust that they can and they can figure it out. And for me, I've I've actually just been experiencing this the last couple of weeks because the Wild on Purpose podcast is, in my opinion, the first successful creative project I've ever brought out into the world. And I'm only a month into it, but like, that's actually all I needed to believe in myself. And I was chatting with a friend the other night and he wants to write a book and he already has published a book before. So it was really easy to get him into the back into the phase of thinking he could write the next one. And he asked me, do you want to write a book? I said, I do. And I know that I can. And he's like, well, mm-hmm. what, what makes you know that you can? I was like, Cause I've done the podcast and Although they're totally different outlets for creation, I've been able to intimately listen to my creative impulse closely enough to bring forth the thing that it wanted to, to be. And so I can apply that, which is the same similar process to any other creative project. And I genuinely believe now that I can do anything that I want. So it's just a matter of what do I really want and what is the process that I want to learn? And so do I actually genuinely want to learn the process of writing a book? I don't know. I don't actually know if I do. I kind of just want the finished <laughs> product. So I'm still sitting with it of like, I'm not going to start it because the I don't think I've experienced a lot of joy right now in writing a book, but I experience a lot of joy for the most part in producing a podcast because it's aligned with my genius. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll first share that uh, for me, at least I have this new idea of just writing chapters that I'm happy with and then sharing them as I go to maybe maybe subscribers who who want to see it and who will prove to be a you know supportive audience so I think they're also and this was actually common like James Joyce for example you know this amazing author he he actually uh, published the chapters from his books as he was writing them to a to a supportive audience and it's a way to keep you going but you know it's it's not going all the way it's it's maybe a, a good way to do things step by step um, another thought that came to my mind is yeah not knowing the future and how it limits us and i just wanted to point out that you know i think children when they cry because of pain I think that's exactly that too. It's like the the crying comes when you're in pain because you don't know how long it's going to last. Mm. And this is true even if it's... And then you're probably going to cry again as an adult if you get for the first time like chronic pain, which is something which is not expected to go away. You're probably going to 
cry. And it's it's really this these these unknown things, these big imminent changes that we know come upon us that are threatening us. And mm-hmm. then again, if we actually go through with the cycle, we build up this um this ability this resilience that tells us, you know, and then you grow up, you know, exactly what it is like to stub your toe on the, on the bed frame. Terrible, but you don't cry anymore because you know, it goes away. Yeah. I think in the nervous system world, they would call this exposure therapy. And Mm. this is also related to trauma healing and basically titrating. Titrating is just incrementally moving or expanding our, uh, borders. So like expanding our comfort zone, we would do that in a titrated way. So we don't just go to the very scariest thing that we could ever think of. Mm. We go to something that's 10% scary. There is something in the trauma healing world where they talk about the 4% window, but I don't know about that one too much. So whatever that just like small next step is to expand your comfort zone, to expose yourself to the thing that you are most afraid of, or that just freaks you out. And then gradually, just like we're building muscles in the gym through micro tearing, we're creating greater resilience. And I, again, I'm very early on technically in my creator journey. So definitely check back in in a decade and see how I'm doing. But my (laughs) sense is that a podcast or a blog or a YouTube channel or these kinds of things where we can just experiment with one off, a one off episode, a one off video, one off blog post, and then just doing that over time we are having exposure therapy to the creative process. And then over time, that'll give us the capacity to hold much larger projects that are more complex, um, that require greater mastery in order to complete. And although I'm re- I love what I'm doing right now and I sense it is important, there's a part of me that already can see down the future a couple decades from now and look back and ask myself, like, what was the point of starting the podcast? And I think one of the biggest things will just be believing in myself that I can create. You know, all the, all the conversations themselves are worthwhile. They deserve to be out in the world. But I think what this podcast is doing for me as a creator is empowering much larger things down the line. Yeah, well, I, I think that if, if you feel it, then this is what it is. Like, I don't think you're wrong about it. And it's, it's, it's probably just, just what you feel it is. It's just the beginning of a spring that's going to, um, ebb for, for a long time. And I, I do think that if somebody feels that that's true and yeah, there's also the, the issue of, of learning curves, you know, these kind of steep climbs at the beginning that are objectively hard because you, you know, you start a podcast, but really you do have to learn about editing and audio quality. So a little bit about acoustics and a little bit about, um, I don't know, uh, some, some other stuff and just how to technically operate the, the editing software and so on. And at the beginning, it's, it's not the most exciting thing, but once it's in the service of something that's really important for you, then that also becomes easier. And with time, I think we also are not great at really realizing that anything that we do learn how to do properly becomes easy and automatic. And I think that is something that we need to, um, 
remind ourselves more often when approaching something new is like, it could be a tough two months, but I am going to figure it out. I'm not a dummy. And then it's just going to be easier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and do you feel like, yeah. Well, what's the question that you were going to ask? I'll go ahead with, oh, I was going to ask if, if you found that it's, you know, it's these added competencies that mm. actually also motivate you because you're, you're constantly adding to your skill set, And this is another thing. This is the, the positive unknowable aspect of things, the aggregate of all these skills and things that you add to yourself, you have no idea where they're going to take you, but they're probably going to take you to very good places because you're always learning and you're always, um, you're going to find yourself with a skill set that's not yet, um, determined right now, but it's going to be great. Yeah. I love that. What, what you're touching on for me is this drive towards more intrinsic motivation for the sheer pleasure of learning and doing the thing and meeting myself in that moment versus having the end result, which is why a podcast is so great because mm-hmm. you have like mini end results all the time every week or so. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I found that at first I, at first I loved ideating and thinking of my why for the podcast and the big vision and these more kind of, uh, untangible sides of it. And then when it actually came down to grounding it into reality and getting the microphone and getting the software and writing the show notes and getting it all set up online, that there was a part of me that felt really deflated during that. Of like, Oh, this isn't fun anymore. Like I thought, I thought this was going to be, you know, so nourishing and fulfilling day in, day out, every single minute. And um, one difference is, is almost like, what is the original impulse that has led someone to want to create? And for me, I know that my podcast is very aligned with who I am, the change I want to see in the world. It connects to my soul. It connects to what I believe is my real purpose of being on earth. And so there is this larger reason beyond myself that helps me to keep showing up and moving forward, even when the minutia of the chopping the wood and the carrying the water day in, day out feels boring, but it becomes its own practice. So just like people will go to their yoga mat every day and that is their practice, or they sit down in their meditation cushion, you know, it takes practice to do those things, even when we're not really enjoying them or we don't want to. And so even showing up for my creative projects, I've realized is a, is a practice. Um, so that was one thing that came to mind. And then can you remind me of the question again? No, I just, um, just wondering if, if you're already feeling that this kind of expansion of your skill set is, is gratifying in itself, because for me, it's definitely been a thing. It is. My husband, Johnny talks about his podcast being, uh, helping to create the conditions for serendipity to arise in his life. And so there's really no intention to monetize the podcast necessarily, aside from maybe bringing some awareness to some of the programs and things that I'm creating, but I'm not taking on sponsors or anything like that. And so for some early creators, they might say, well, what's the point if I'm not making money from my creations, but the sheer amount of 
doors that have been opened or connections that have been forged or interesting conversations that have come about through these methods um, just makes it so fulfilling and nourishing that I know it's a core aspect of how I want to spend my time. And then the strategic mind can come in a little bit more and say, okay, now how does it strategically connect to the other things in my life that will provide financial abundance so that I can keep this train going, you know, so I'm not denying that side of things, but I'm also not letting it fully drive and fuel the creative projects. So I feel like once financial objectives get placed onto creative projects, something changes and the, the original impulse of why we're doing it or why it needs to be out in the world gets a little skewed and commercialized. And I'm, I'm, I really don't want to do that with my, with my creative outlets. So it's like I have business over here, creation over here, and they like are weaving together in their own ways. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such an interesting thing when, when money gets involved and, you know, I, I have said it publicly before that for the podcast, for whatever reason, I'd love to see it kind of do that cycle too and get to that place. But I'm, I'm so passive about it. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea how many listens I should get, how many, whatever. Um, but I would like to, to see it go through that cycle of maybe you know, getting to a, a new peak in terms of, uh, how many people listen to it and maybe even make a living out of it just because at this point it's like so easy for me to make. And I think I can, I think I've proven that I can bring quality, uh, quality content and something of value to people. Uh, but I have no idea how to make that step and. Yeah, I, one thing I, I want to get your opinion on is, do you feel you're becoming more and more unemployable with every <laughs> successful project that you're doing? <laughs> I have been unemployable for probably five, uh, six years now, I would say. I actually, oh, so what a great question. I, I created something that never saw the light of day. This is one of my graveyard creations, but it was called The Reckless Resume. And the intention of it was for people who thought themselves unemployable would upload their true resume, like the one that is honest, because mine is absolutely mm -hmm. ridiculous. Um, but I, there's an interesting paradox that comes with unemployability. I think the people who are the most resilient and can birth their own creative projects in the world and sustain them and grow them you know, whatever metrics that means, whether that's financially or visibility or just, just to sustain a creative project over a long period of time is an accomplishment in and of itself. I think those people, the qualities they have are the qualities that most organizations need the most. And truly it would make them the most employable people out there. However, they have learned to, to think for themselves and to feel for themselves and to honor what they want. And it's very hard to stay true to that whilst working underneath yeah. somebody else, whether it's one person yeah. or I think it gets harder, <laughs> the more corporate and bigger it gets. But yeah, there's, I think there's a very interesting uh, juxtaposition there where the people who are actually employed and employable aren't always cultivating the most resilient skill sets that the organization needs the most. 
which is why yeah, I think some of the absolutely. most innovative companies on the planet, my understanding of them, like the Googles, um, IDO, like there's time for employees to work on whatever they want and to create their own projects internally, because there's something about owning a full project cycle and creating something that comes from within you mm. that is really empowering. And I think cultivates leadership within teams. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel, I feel the same, uh, just as you put it, it's, uh, I think at this point I'd be happy to one time in my life, be part of, a like a core group, uh, for a startup, but I don't know if it's going to happen because I have anyway, I don't know how to do that either, but that's like the only <laughs> thing that's left, right. It's like, I'll do that because as you say, if it's, if it's already big and stuff, it's like, no, no, I'm already. I'm already used to be like the star of my own show in my own life. I can't just be a cog in the machine now. Um, yeah, I mean, don't get yeah, me wrong. This is, I, this is lovely. I, I love team co-creations and I miss it. You know, I'm definitely a little lonely right now in my creator path, but I also know it's a temporary phase. I don't know what it's going to ultimately look like to be on a team again, but it's not going to come through the creation of a resume in a formal application interview process. It's going to be me coming together with probably people like you who've done their own individual thing. And now we say, okay, how do we put our minds together, our skill sets together and create something that is so much larger than what one of us could have created on our own. And uh, I hope that that's the eventual next big stepping stone for the creator world is the creators coming together um, and co-creating, but also not losing their sovereignty in that process. And I don't have many good yeah. examples of that actually happening yet, but I, I trust no, it's on its way. Isn't it amazing? It's <laughs> no, it's amazing that there aren't, you know, we're such an individualistic society where we need our name on the YouTube channel. And I've been saying pretty much <laughs> what you just said to friends. I'm happy to say that I'm working on a, on a collaboration with a friend these days, but I definitely see, I was thinking like, why? don't I and some other people who are like-minded and like-hearted and I know our friends and allies just choose one place and like each of us brings their thing there. Like, I really don't feel like I need all the credit anyway. And it's just like the, the synergy could be so strong. So mm. apparently we have more to talk about in that realm. Uh, you do you for, for, for a little bit. <laughs> but I'm always open to ideas for sure. And I really like the direction of, uh, yeah, people coming together and collaborating because the sum is greater. Um, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, it feels like we haven't said cyclicality in a while. So I'm going to give you a chance to maybe, uh, reintroduce the concept and maybe tie together for a nice, uh, summary of how this has been working out for you, cyclicality in general and in creation in light of what we said. Yeah. Beautiful. I love the way you just wove that back in. I feel like we're about to just tie the tie a ribbon <laughs> on the whole thing. So it's beautifully packaged up. Um, I thought that was clumsy, but thank you. <laughs> no, it was, it was, I thought it was elegant. Yeah. Cyclicality. I think the invitation is for people to, get honest with themselves about what season and cycle they are in their life and, and to just honor that fully and not try and change it for what it is. And we could tie this into the last little bit around 
uh, employability and maybe having a normal job and working for somebody else, it might be the best choice for somebody in the season of the life of their life that they're in right now is to work for somebody else. I know, I mean, I have, I have a full track record of working for other people and, um, gosh, how long ago now? I, when I was 27, um, five-ish years ago, I worked at a marketing and PR agency and I ran the public relations for a travel destination. And my job was primarily made up of writing emails, sending newsletters, pitching, and like organizing beautiful blog posts and, and information while also travel planning. And just two weeks ago, I, I almost fell to the floor when I had this insight where I was writing beautiful emails and pitches. I was organizing my podcast with beautiful imagery. I was creating the backend blog posts for them. And I was starting to travel <laughs> plan for my retreat in, in April. And I, I almost had a <laughs> breakdown of like, I'm doing the same thing I did when I was employed, but it's just for my own <sighs> creation now. And so all those skill sets, <laughs> they don't go away. They get to stay. And so I'm really grateful that under somebody else's time and dime, I was trained to do some of these tasks really well because it gives me so much greater leverage now as an independent creator. And so when it comes to our cycles, trusting that someone's work cycle, it's following its own cadence. Maybe it's a couple more years, a couple more months or decades. I would say if somebody's working a job and they start to feel that discomfort inside of them and that, you know, they think, wow, I think the peak of this is done. I think I'm really starting to want something else. You know, they'll start cresting into the autumn phase of that career cycle. Then eventually mm -hmm. they'll make the choice of like, okay, it's time for something new. And maybe that something new is the independent creator path. Maybe not, maybe it's something else. And so just the more inner awareness we can cultivate and the more inner curiosity of why am I acting the way I'm acting? When am I acting certain ways? I think really tracking when we do things um, will start to paint a, a more organic picture of who we are as cyclical beings. And this really does apply to anybody, any gender. And if someone is it's also really hard to just track this with your mind. So the invitation is to get a journal and start tracking. It can be as simple as your mental landscape, your mood, your energy, your physical energy every day. And also just write down what phases the moon in on that day. And if you are someone who has a menstrual cycle, use a cycle tracking app and write down what day of your cycle you're in. And you can just do that without it needing to be anything special. And after the course of a month or two, look back and see what patterns have emerged. And if we actually can consciously keep that journaling practice or that reflection process going, guarantee uh, patterns will emerge for everybody. And then once you know your patterns, you have more agency to be in alignment with them or to start shifting them. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. This is, this is a, a really, um, fitting kind of putting it all together. And I'm going to officially, I think, pair this episode with one that was just released with, uh, by, uh, with Dan Greenwald, who was talking about energy farming. And he talks about energy farming, 
but it actually, I think, lacks the, the kind of uh, seasonal cyclicality. So I think people should probably listen to uh, both of these and kind of make the synthesis. I think now oh, to cool. myself that it would make a, a great uh, duo together. Um, yeah, Kelly, thanks so much. I feel already benefited by this conversation. Published, not published, going to make money one day. I don't care. This was um, <laughs> absolutely great. And I'm really grateful for you uh, coming on here. Yes, thank you, Eyal. This was super fun. I've actually never publicly talked about this topic before. So it was really great to have your wonderful reflections and questions. And now we could both look at it through the lens of podcasting. Fun. Awesome.